Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Gary. And together, we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we'll be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends cocktail wise so let's hear what's on the show this week well it really feels rather like we're on the move this week why well while our first product review comes from right here in the uk raspberry eau de vie from capriolus distillery in the beautiful cotswolds our second takes us over to holland to try old duff geneva produced by an irishman who lives in new york Speaking of the United States, we drop into the super elegant chandelier bar at the Four Seasons Hotel in New Orleans, where we try some beautiful versions of that great city's most well-known cocktails. Coming back home, literally into our home, our book choice is Bar Menu, 100 plus drinking food recipes for cocktail hours at home. And our special guest is hospitality consultant Anna Sebastian, whose current projects involve none other than that great British institution, the Savoy, and its iconic American bar and the Beaufort bar. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. Okay, so it was Negroni week last week. It was indeed. And we missed that. But it's, as you like to say, it's always a good time for a Negroni. I always like to say. I think somebody else <laughs> I know. also I mean, you don't need that. a Negroni week in order to celebrate. <laughs> so we're going to do something. But I thought I'd do something a bit different. I thought we'd go for a white Negroni. Ooh. Something that we, I think we first encountered it at Dante in New York. Yes. Was that the first time I you tried think, it? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've only had it a few times in bars, but I think you're right about that one. But it has been around since 2001, actually, and it was created by British bartender Wayne Collins. Remember ah, Wayne? Yes, of course. So it's it's his creation, and it's taken over the years to actually catch on. But we're going to do it a little bit different. It's usually with a London dry gin. But because the two supporting ingredients are French, I thought that we'd do it with a French gin. Oh, so it's all French. It's all French. Viva la France. (laughs) Indeed. So we're using QVT gin. I think we've reviewed that on the tier before. So it's a dry French gin. Thought it would be quite a good mm-hmm. one. So Loving we're going to go. Loving the pop of the cork already. Absolutely. We're going to go equal measures, as is the way with Negronis. Although I've seen lots of different recipes, and some go for up in the gin, taking the other ingredients down. Some, you know, they play around a bit, as we always say. Your cocktail, your way. Absolutely. So (laughs) we're going to go equal parts. I must say, one of the many attractions of a Negroni for me is the equal parts. Yeah. Because it's just so easy. Exactly. So, and also we'll try it this way. And then maybe the next time you might think, actually, I do want more gin or I do want whatever. But I think the equal parts is a good way to go. So then our second ingredient is Lillet, Lillet Blanc, another French ingredient and another favorite of ours yeah exactly so that's we're using 30 mils of everything per drink so because we're doing two that's 60 mils Mm -hmm. and then our third ingredient instead of campari is a bittering agent obviously because you need that bitter element in a negroni and it's called sous yes you're yes. supposed to say Sue's. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought I, I dare cut in here because uh, I thought you were going to give me something. some huge fat. But Sue's, I mean, I think it is a a, a delicious ingredient as an of itself yes. it? with with tonic or soda. Yeah, it's a bittersweet gentian liqueur, and again, it is from France. So we've got three lovely French ingredients in there. So there's 
the gin, which you can, as I say, use London Dry, but we're using the French one, Lillo Blanc and Foose, and then obviously our ice. Now you can... Oh my God! There goes the, <laughs> just in case you wonder, yeah. folks, that was an ice cube flying, flying across the across room. Across the floor. <laughs> anyway, that shan't be going into the drink. No, just in case of you're wondering, not. You can actually build this drink in your glass. Yeah. But because I'm doing two, I'm doing them in a mixing glass. So we've got our. Actually, usually with our Negronis, we serve them in Nicanoras because we just quite like them. Yeah. But today I'm going to go for a nice old-fashioned glass. You can use a lovely big block of ice in there. One big block yeah, would yeah. be great. Or, you know, just have your cubed ice, which we have. And it's interesting because, as you say, you're stirring this, and, and we. Generally, when we do make Negronis at home, just standard Negronis, we do, do stir ours down and serve them straight up. I think we just got used to that way because you control the dilution yeah, and get absolutely. the coldness. But I think you're doing uh, sort of best of both worlds, aren't you? Stirring it down but still serving it over ice. Yeah, exactly. As I said, if we had been a little bit more prepared, we as in I, I would have made some lovely big cubes of ice. But I haven't. And uh, the thing with that ice, which I love, but when you're doing it at home, you just have to really remember it well in think, advance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? Cubes works equally well. Of course. So the the Suze is the thing that's given it. It's it says white Negroni, but actually you could almost call it yellow Negroni because the Suze gives it this lovely yellow tinge a golden hue i would call it indeed you would i could could call it a golden degree call it whatever you like as long as it tastes good Absolutely. that is the main thing and then you're gonna garnish with a lemon twist mm-hmm. which i'm just doing now and oh. make sure you express your lemon oils over the glass you've got a lovely little hint of lemon mm-hmm. going uh, nice expressing action there. Going. Yeah, and it also echoes the the colour in, the, in yeah. the glass, which is lovely. Are you dropping that in? Yeah, I am yeah. dropping that in. That looks really rather nice. Hope Let's it see tastes, if it tastes good as well. Nice. Right. So here you Cheers. are. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. That's oh, lovely. That is nice because it's a Negroni, but it's just, I like it's kind of softer, softer and a bit edges. more floral and mm. aromatic. It's Ooh, got like that bitterness that. coming through, but it's got a lovely. There's some herbaceousness in there yeah. as well, oh, which I is great. This. So this is our white or golden Negroni. Cheers. Cheers. So, do I have a treat for you? Do you? I do. I haven't tasted it yet, but everything about this really promises great flavour. I'm seduced by the looks, the intent behind it. Every single point, every touch point of this product just fills me with joy. So, let me extol my delight well, I and think you should take, take a breath <laughs> take you're a so breath. excited well the thing is i just love anything that really is born out of passion and this really is it's a product called capriolis distillery that's not the product that's the name of the distillery and it's set up by a lovely chap called barney wilsack he's a distiller and owner and he was a former conservation photographer you'll actually still see some of his beautiful photographs on the company website they're absolutely gorgeous the distillery is based in the greenhouse of his childhood home which is in the yeah it's in the Cotswolds, and it's he's got these wonderful custom built stills where he makes these wonderful eau de vies so if you don't know eau de vie it means water of life and it really is about distilled spirits are made from anything other than grapes so you know you've got grappa and all of those sort of things each of the products is bottled in uv proof bottles which is a really really important and expensive process actually because it makes sure that the spirit stays at its optimum freshness for the longest time so what barney has done he's 
created these eau de vies with lots of local fruit. Most of them are within 50 miles of their actual distillery. So you've got a whole lot of things from plums to damson to chestnut barrel-aged apples, blackcurrants, quinces, gooseberries. And these are all separate. Separate, absolutely. Absolutely all separate. And all of the fruit is sorted berry by berry by the four of them. There's only four people that work here. That's a lot of work. Yeah, and they do, even from the packaging, everything is hand-labelled. There's handwriting on the the bottles. And it is so beautiful. Gary, I will pass the bottle over to you. Yeah, I like it. It's a really, what size is this? It's a really slender bottle, isn't it? 375 uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, a very slender bottle. It reminds me a little bit of those very expensive olive, olive oil oils, bottles. Yes. Yeah, got a nice cork. And as you say, the, the label on the front is very slender again. As you said, it's got all this lovely handwritten notes on it. So it's got the year 2021, the volume 43, the batch number of the bottle. So this is bottle 237 of just 600. And then it's signed off by the distiller. Yes. So that really does feel, as you were saying, very special. Yeah, it really is. It's a, Everything about it is kind of poetic to me. It just feels like it's, you know, when people talk about craftsmanship, yeah. this is it in a bottle. They call it sort of perfection distilled, which is, you know, who am I to argue? Yeah. So as well as the eau de vies, they do have two gins. And I'm going to review those later in another episode. For now, I just want to focus on one of the ODVs. Mm. ODVs. <laughs> we have <laughs> raspberry, um, and I'm dying to taste Actually, it. Actually, while you're doing that, also, as one of the lovely bottle, it came Got in that a lovely tube. Uh, card tube. Mm. And again, and that comes with little <laughs> notes inside with a lovely illustration of raspberries. I mean, there's so much yeah, thought and detail. And when you think that, this. you know, they sit around the kitchen table putting all of these things together and actually putting these these labels on, it's just Incredible. so beautiful. So as they suggest, we're going to serve it neat. And it's not one of those things that you have to serve over ice. They actually want you to to serve it neat. If you want to, they say you can take it down with a little bit of water to open it yeah. up, a bit like whiskey. And and they they say uh, they're saying serve it at room temperature. At room temperature, yeah. and okay. and also they recommend serving it in kind of like you know the little grappa glasses, which I've served yeah. you in. So mm-hmm. it's like a little bulbous bottom and a narrow top, and. Um, that's what they say. So, what is the ABV on forty-three? Forty-three. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful. You can get that brandy-ish thing that comes yeah. out of it. You know, that's very much the essence of a, an, an ODV. I keep mm. saying ODV, <laughs> ODV, <laughs> um, but also a lovely burst of fresh mm. raspberries as well. Mm. Oh wow, that is. Grown up raspberries, isn't yeah, it? it's absolutely. I, I don't delicious. know why I expected it to be, <clears throat> excuse me, sweeter, and it's not. It, it has, no. as you say, it's a proper ADV, but it's got. <laughs> I often say the power of suggestion, but I think it does make me feel like I'm in in the countryside, in the English countryside. Absolutely, and each of the bottles of the the ODVs, they have up to. Th- 45 kilos of fruit in one litre of the eau de vie. So that goes to show exactly how much goes into it, how much crafting. Also, as I say, all of the berries are selected by hand. So can you imagine? You know, that's absolutely... And it's got a lovely, slightly creamy mouthfeel, beautiful finish. It's got a little bit of heat, very, very subtle heat. And I I love it's got a nice lingering finish. Absolutely. And it's been very much um, adopted by restaurants as well. Uh, Top restaurants are using it, not just as ingredients in some of the desserts and food but serving it after a meal because it really cuts through sweetness and fat you know and also bartenders are using it in cocktails 
Or, as we say, you can just have it on its own. I love it like it's this. It's really, yeah. really beautiful. I, ha- having tried this, I'm very excited to try the gins. Yes, you exactly. Tried about. Yeah. And some of the we'll other ones, because we've got little sample bottles of pretty much all of the other ones. So we will have a, re- <laughs> a really good autumn sipping yeah. through them. So this is the Raspberry Eau de Vie from Capriolis Distillery. And this one actually comes in at £120, I think. They do start at about £55, but this one, super special, just like all of them, to be honest with you. And it is, as I say, £120. And if you look at our Instagram feed or our website page, you'll see the beautiful packaging. And I can't wait for you to taste the liquid. It is delicious. I'm going this week with Geneva. Mm. And it's one of those things, I can't remember when we first came across it as a spirit. But anyway, that doesn't really matter. It doesn't. No. So Geneva, it's a kind of forerunner of gin. Some say it is, some say it isn't. It's another and one of those. It really it? is one. Yeah. I ain't going to get caught in the middle of that <laughs> discussion. I don't think so, Mr. History Buff. <laughs> no. Um, but it is uh, fair enough to say that Geneva is the Dutch word for juniper. Mm. So, of course, you would think we're, we're going down a sort of ginny kind of route. But on the other hand, say possibly not, because don't expect it to taste like gin. No, no. There's, there's echoes of gin, yeah. you know, but not it's not gin as you know it. No, no, it's not. So the one in question is called, and this le- leads me nicely on to, Old Duff Geneva, Old Mm. Duff Geneva. Now, this was launched just a few years ago by a chap called Philip Duff. And he's an interesting guy. He was a bartender in his native Ireland. Uh, He also worked in England, US, Cayman Islands, and significantly in Holland, Mm. where he actually lived for, I think, about 17 years. And he founded that great bar, Door 74. Oh, yes. One of our faves. Absolutely. So he says Geneva has a really special place in his heart because obviously he lived in the country for all that time. He speaks fluent Dutch. And he Is there anything that he can't do, actually? He is just one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you sick, doesn't it, really? Such a brain box. (laughs) Um, But lovely a lovely lovely (laughs) chap so something he came across a while back was a lot of dutch geneva was made using malt wine from belgium which you know nothing wrong with that yeah and i think i think i'm right in saying that both holland and belgium can produce geneva right but the dutch you never really hear about belgium no and and it is I mean, th- th- this whole subject, you could write a, an essay on it. But if we, you had time. We haven't got that time. Or the inclination. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Phil probably has written countless oh, I'm sure essays he has, on yeah. this. So anyway, getting back to the old Duff Geneva, there are two expressions. One is called 100% malt wine, which I think is slightly more for a sipping experience. Mm. But the one I'm going to concentrate on today is literally just called Old Duff Geneva. Comes in a lovely green bottle. And uh, I think this has been made more with making mixing cocktails. Right. Although not exclusively for cocktails. I'll just tell you a little bit about the bottle and then I'll pass it over to you for your comments. So it's lovely, as I say, green bottle is square, which I think is quite true traditional to the original yeah. style of bottle yeah. when i think they were made in like pottery or something like mm. that so it's got that type but also it's got a lovely label on it with a goat and i'll tell you about the goat in a minute <laughs> and it's got some cocktail paraphernalia let me pass that over to you for your yes. comments and observations there is something very classic about it you know i I, th- I look at this and i think yes definitely a geneva bottle but there's some lovely little touches that bring it really Lots up to date not just the cheeky yeah. little goat who's who's sipping from our favourite Nick and Nora glass. We like him. (laughs) And then there's also a lovely illustration, beautiful orange label that makes it, not completely orange label, I mean, orange touches that make it stand out against the green. 
And yeah, it's a really beautiful bottle. We love it. it love is. it. So I, I must tell you very, very briefly. About Mr. Goat. <laughs> about the goat. The goat also, you, you, I can't believe you didn't comment on the fact as well as him sipping a cocktail from a Nicanora glass. He's faultlessly attired in uh, what looks like Victorian evening dress. Of course he is. As he should be. And the reason for this, apparently, so Philip Duff says, is his in the village that his family hail from in Ireland apparently is the same village as St. Patrick hailed from. Hmm. And so the story goes, Philip Duff's ancestors stole the goat that belonged to St. Patrick and ate it. <gasps> oh, my Lord. Do you now, think we should be revealing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he talks openly and uh, frankly about this story. <laughs> Who knows if it's true? Who knows? Or is it just oh, my goodness. a figment of his imagination? <laughs> but it's a great story either way. So that is the reason for the, the goat. And also, as I say, there's a lovely the, on the illustrations on the front are some lovely pieces of cocktail paraphernalia, like mm. a jigger and a yeah, it's and really a nice. Glass. So I think that gives you lots of clues that it is for mixing. So let's have a tasting. Oh, there goes there goes your stopper. Um, oops, pause. Pass it over to you. Okay. Right, and this is. Is this 40 ABV? Yep. So, as I said, you know, we've said at the beginning, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a gin, even though no. it's got that juniper thing. What do you think? You don't immediately get gin on on the nose, do you? Or, you know, yeah, I think if, no. if somebody didn't know what Geneva was, they wouldn't necessarily think it is a cousin of gin when they went in from it. It's kind of malty. Mm. There is that. Yeah, no, you're right about the malty thing. And it, it's 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 a weird one sometimes because certain things you taste and you go, oh, it's a bit it's light. Remember, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is not one mm. of those. You can't, there's not something you can say, oh, it's a bit light. If yeah. you like this, you'll like that. But actually, when you taste it, there are the, the nuances of gin there. It tastes like a gin in a different direction. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's got, um, I'm trying to put my... Thoughts on it. You carry on. No, while I, get I, my I was words. hanging on your every. No, word no, no, no. But I'll just get back to mm. yeah. I mean, having tasted it, it's, it is it's fabulous. It has. It's got a a real richness to it, and mm. I don't mean like rich as in a creamy sweet richness. It's just a richness in terms of full of flavour. Yeah, and body. It yeah. just has a lovely. Mm. Um, yes, that richness. Blimey, mm. my words are not great today. Mm. I'm sorry, but it's it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, I love no, that. Uh, it's it worse. The thing is. As I said, the other one, the 100% malt wine, might be more for sipping. But, but this I, is great for sipping. Yeah, absolutely. Sip you don't need, for me, in a way, you don't need to mix this because yeah. I think there's so much, there's so many different layers in it and so many different, um, it's lending itself to so many different things. That I think it's one of those that you actually do want to sip to get it to open up even more to yes. you and reveal I'm itself. I'm loving it it's just really like this, great. room temperature mm. as it is. Having said that, there are some lovely suggestions, other ways to enjoy Martinez. it. Martinez. So, yeah, actually, you, you read my mind there. Mm. How did you do that? <laughs> so, yeah, I think in place of gin or indeed old Tom gin mm. in a Martinez, I think this would play really nicely with uh, sweet vermouth and things. So definitely that. But also it suggested that it's a good one to have you know, like a beer and a spirit together side by side. And obviously there ah. are great Dutch beers. Yes, um, yes. And that's that's yeah. very much how Dutch people do drink yeah. in those brown pups, you know, yeah. that it's, you have your, it's not a beer in a shot. I mean, it no. is a beer in a shot, but it isn't. It's it's done in a very different way. It's elegant. Way. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that would be interesting. And the other one is, as we've said before, you know, for a lot of spirits, a Collins is always a great yes. thing. And this, uh, they've come up with, uh, who came up with this? What do you think they've called their Collins? Go on. Have to hurry you. The Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. What Yay, came first, the recipe that, or, that the, or the brilliant. name? Yeah, yeah, I love but, it. Yeah, I think this as a Collins, you know, with just lemon juice. And yes. Actually, I can taste so, that now. I, well, can I think really this would make a that. brilliant Collins. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is Old Duff Geneva. And it is retailing at round about £29 for a 700ml bottle. And we like this. Really, we, really, we like really like Big this. Big thumbs up. And also, you know, if you are a fan of gin, but you want to try something a little bit different and, you know, in the same kind of field, I would definitely recommend this. Definitely. 
And now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts. My name's Thomas Ask, the co-founder of Black Rock and Whiskey Me. And my cocktail hack is to use up all of those first flush tea leaves that you've used. Now, I personally will re-brew cold um, my spent tea leaves, whether they're green or flavoured teas. And I'll use that, sometimes carbonated, as a mixer to my whiskey or to my vodka or to whichever spirit I'm drinking. So it makes a good use of leftover ingredients. It gets a secondary flavour and it's also delicious as a soft drink as well. we mentioned in this season we're going to actually highlight some of the bars that we encounter on our travels yes and this one that we're highlighting today is from our recent trip to new orleans and it's called the chandelier bar in the four seasons hotel in new orleans it is indeed and i think the clues in the name (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and what i like first off about this is when you're in reception checking in you sort of glance and just not too far away, you can see this beautiful chandelier and beautiful bar. So it's not tucked away. You don't have to go in search of it. It kind of beckons yeah, you Yeah, it's a lobby bar, but not in the way that you usually think of lobby bars. This is such a dramatic statement. And also that lovely twinkle, you know, and the, the gentle chatter that you hear with people yeah. having a cocktail or you hear that lovely stirring or shaking. It really One of our is favourite sounds. Absolutely. <laughs> What's not to love about that? But it really makes you feel welcome in the hotel straight away, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. You want to be part of that action. So you get into the, the lobby bar, well, the chandelier bar in the lobby. Yeah. And as you say, the chandelier is the focus. Did you know there's 15,000 little gems in that chandelier? I do now. <laughs> I do now. And, and it is, uh, th- th- it's a, uh, try and describe the chandelier. It's not like an old fashioned classic chandelier it's kind of very contemporary oh it's very funky. gorgeous yeah. it, absolutely it's a supermodel of a chandelier yeah. it feels it? like stardust cascading oh, down over the check bar you out. but it does it really <laughs> yeah, really you know, does it's beautiful it's beautiful so the whole space is is like that so that is the focal point and it's it's, it's a horseshoe bar. It is an open bar. Yeah, well, it's a it? circular oval-shaped bar. Circular mm. oval, I think. But you could certainly sit all the way around it, which is nice. And the, the bartenders and applying their trade within that circle. Yes. Mm. So the cocktails there, it they, they focus on the classics of the city of because New Orleans. Orleans is very, very much the cradle of cocktails. There's so many cocktails that have been invented there, yes. including... The French 75, Brandy Cruster, Ramos Gin Fizz, Vu Carré, you know, all sorts of things. So what they've done is actually taken those as their base and worked with them. And I wouldn't say necessarily elevated them, but they've made them into their own drinks. And I think that's a nice thing, because if you're there, why not pay homage to those great drinks? Mm. And as you say, they just serve really delightful and delicious versions of them so what did you have i had the cocktail orleans Mm -hmm. or orleans whichever way you want to say it so it's a modified classic cocktail made by blending lots of whiskeys different whiskeys with sweet and bitter tones and aged american whiskeys with a blend of italian liqueurs and bitters it's a very reminiscent of a manhattan or rob roy or something like that really great and it was such a lovely environment to sit and savor it And, and and actually, while we were there, we didn't mention that because we we're there in the evening, there was a beautiful um, New Orleans band playing in, in the background, weren't yeah. there? Live band there. And it was just, everybody was just looking amazing and feeling great being in this fantastic space. It was wonderful. Yeah. So the drink was great. What about okay. you? Also, I'd add on to that, that, as you said, it was fairly late in the evening and this mm. was our first... We just arrived. Just, <laughs> just fresh got to the hotel and freshened up. So it really did make us feel like, yep, yeah, we're in New Orleans. Yeah, the jazz, exactly. The cocktails, the vibe. I had a Sazerac. Of course. Of course, which was made with rye. And I'm gonna probably gonna mispronounce this. Herb Saint Legionnaire. Anyway, don't say one. it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That one, mm. which is actually an absinthe substitute from New Orleans and cane sugar and Persia's bitters. 
And again, hello, I'm in New Orleans. Yeah. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. Oh, it's such a lovely, lovely space. Really did feel welcome that we, we were there. We didn't have another drink, but there are lots of other things, including our amazing martinis that we had the night after, actually, yes. which was good. And some amazing bar food there. They've got this wonderful chef, Alon... Shea. Yes. And again, so they're using those wonderful hints of classic New Orleans, but they've, again elevated it here so they have beautiful bar food including oh, um, the, the the pork crackling yes exactly yes. and they also have things like amazing caviar you know so because they do have a lot of champagnes and stuff which you would expect with that beautiful chandelier it does scream out champagne doesn't it it's got, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got that look and feel about it but they have these wonderful cocktails and they also have some non-out cocktails. There's a nada colada, which is great. No, no alcohol colada. And things like, again, on the food menu, blue crab rolls, fried oysters, oh, crispy, so <laughs> crispy chicken sandwich and butter fried beignets with warm and oh. warm cookies as well. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my yeah. mouth is watering also, again now. I'll just quickly say, we, in the forthcoming issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine, mm. we'll be talking about the restaurant, uh, the restaurant Miss River. So the same chef, Alan Cher, who's beyond that. So that the two overlap quite a lot. We, we will be talking about that. And we will be talking about the classic cocktails of New Orleans as well. So... Keep your eyes peeled for the next issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine. But in the meantime... That was the Chandelier Bar. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. If you are, why not leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast? And feel free to get in touch with ideas and suggestions. Or if you'd like to work with us, just visit our website, thecocktaillovers.com and click on the contact button. Do you remember in our last season, we talked about a book called Booze and Vinyl? I do. That was probably one of our last episodes, wasn't it? I think it was. And we really liked it. It was a kind of clever book about pairing great cocktails with great classic albums. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And the two really do go hand in hand, don't they? So one of the co-authors of that book has now got another book called Bar Menu. 100 plus drinking food recipes for cocktail hours at home. I like that. I like it too. Now, what the this chap, um, I should say his name. Yes, is, please. Uh, on, is that Andre? <laughs> Andre Darlington. That's right. Andre yes. Darlington. Now, what Andre, if I may be so informal as to call him Andre, <laughs> has done. I'm sure um, he won't mind. I hope he won't mind. <laughs> he talked his, in, in his introduction about that period, which I always have a nostalgic view of but having never experienced it it is nostalgic of that sort of post-war going into the 50s 60s of people having cocktail parties at home Ah, you know a little bit of food some nice cocktails men in djs women in gowns all of that you Mm. know I, i just love it in my head and he talks very fondly about that and in his parents home and that sort of died out in the later 60s but along with the cocktail renaissance, he's sort of talking about a renaissance of that kind of hour at home. Actually, I think there's going to be more of that now. I hope much so. more entertaining at home and, and doing up. it well, yeah. you know, not just asking people around and having a glass of wine and jibber jabbering, but actually making a real occasion out of it. Well, this is the book for you <laughs> to do <Brilliant>. that. <laughs> so it's funny, actually, the whole thing of pairing food and cocktails mm. it's something you and i have talked about over the years you know some you know one or two bars restaurants have done it mm. um and you know and well and also at, at home i think i can share a couple of our favorite things which was you know over the years one of our little quick treats is to have really good fish and chips and we're blessed with having a really good fish and chip shop mm. very close to home and making it having it with a dry martini yeah it's absolutely. like a marriage made in heaven mm. and likewise uh, a steak at home so so with, with a, a manhattan manhattan so you know those kind of things we already love and so this book just takes that and amplifies it so so much 
Now he, there are sections. He he does the sections really well. So there's cheese, there's fish, there's meat. But also, if you're a bit like me, sometimes you you, you kind of read a book to cover the cover, but you want to dive in. Mm. So he kind of gives you some shortcuts. So there are right at the beginning, there's some you know some pairings, and you can instantly jump in and find a food and a drink and put it together. Any examples in there? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, for example, and this was one of my favourites straight away, was potted shrimp, mm. which I love anyway, served with a Vespa. Oh. That sounds like it's going to work. Yeah, what yeah. a great idea. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of it, to be honest with you, but it, yeah, absolutely. So, so, yeah, in terms of other things, he gives a little introduction where he talks about, I suppose in the same way that you might talk about pairing wine with food he kind of talks about some little guides if you like mm. not rules but things about using the flavors in cocktails to enhance the food and vice versa uh, putting big flavors together uh, balancing like a uh, sweet but it doesn't always have to go with sour talk about regions so if you're having tequila maybe mexican food that mm. kind of thing so is it all complementary or contrasting It's as well? both. Right, it's both. Okay. Uh, I suppose in the same way, again, using the wine analogy, it can be both. Mm. And what I also like is that um, within that, there's not like one cocktail per dish. There's right. quite a few dishes and one cocktail. So right. there might be half a dozen food dishes on one cocktail. So it's not too rigid. Mm. And it can go from anything from little fingery food things through to full-blown oh, wow. meals. And another one that really jumped out for me, let's see if I can find it, because I said about the, the Vesper and the potted shrimp. The other one was things like ribs, pork ribs, mm. but served with something called an Antrim cocktail, which I'm not familiar with, but is p- cognac, port, syrup, and orange bitter. So already oh, that, it sounds yeah, like a great yeah, cocktail. Yeah, so yeah. served with uh, with ribs. With ribs. Yeah, brilliant. Hello. Yeah, that sounds. <laughs> like. Let me pass that over to you. Also, I should just say. Or you might want to say something about the design. I think the design is rather nice. Yes, it is. I mean, the pictures are brilliant. So you immediately you know the food you're going to get. The the photographs are done really really well. Very um, sharp. They're, they're quite stylized. Dramatic. Yeah, yeah exactly. I like that. They're not sort of trying to be at-home lifestyle. No. A bit more arty than that. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I also like the way that the recipes are laid out. It's very clean, very clear. It's not too complicated. Easy to follow, which is great. Oh, I love this. Yeah. I, it's one of those ones you definitely think, oh, yes. You know that it's thing. very inspiring, look, isn't it? Very inspiring and very doable. Yes. You know, like certain recipes food and drink you look at oh i love the sound of that and then it starts to sound a little bit Mm. like hard work this doesn't the drinks are very straightforward easy to make drinks but great and And also nice little explanations just to introduce each recipe as well which is wonderful and i think as in any food or drink book it kind of as you said it's inspirational because you start reading it and it gives you your own ideas which it makes you think oh Actually, I, I could, could do, do this. this. Yes. And I think that's always a good thing. So you don't have to slavishly follow everything. So really, really like this. Details as ever are on our website, cocktaillovers.com and our Instagram. So that is Bar Menu by Andre Darlington, published by Running Press, and it retails at around about £20. hospitality represents stability in a transient world, something which is much more than a place to come to sleep, eat or drink. It's a home away from home, a place to relax and enjoy your drink whilst chatting with the staff, a place not just to be fed but taken care of and looked after by us. Those are the words of Anna Sebastian, one of the busiest people in the drinks biz. She's the founder of Celebrate Her, a platform to support and promote gender equality in hospitality. She's a writer and ambassador for One's Own app, as well as a hospitality consultant for bars, brands, hotels and people, including one of our previous guests, Adam Handling. Having worked at the Savoy Hotel across various roles, including host at the American Bar to manager of the Beaufort Bar, She's back in the historic hotel, but this time in a different capacity, consulting on the look, feel and menus of both fabulous spaces, which is what we'll be speaking to her about today. 
as well as getting tips for bringing some of that five-star magic into our homes. Anna, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to be here and talking to both of you. Lovely to have you, Anna. So if we could kick off, as Sandra mentioned in that introduction just now, in the the quote from you, going out for a cocktail is about so much more than the cocktail. How would you describe what you think is the complete experience of why we choose to go to a particular bar? Yeah, I think I think you're completely right. Especially nowadays, it's very much less about the product and more about that overall experience. I think when we think about you know, how life was maybe 10 years ago and certainly sort of pre-COVID, there was a lot of focus on the quality of the product, how that was executed, how it sort of looked. And in the last sort of like three years, that's become the least important thing. And it's more about how you're made to feel when you walk through the doors, not saying that that wasn't important before, but I think people want different things now. And it's that overall experience, all of those little touch points that you know, you that need to be in the venue for it to be successful. And I think if you look around, especially, you know, London, but all over the world, the venues that are really, really successful, the, the venues that are full, the venues that are busy, have all of those touch points, you know, where you can go, you have amazing music, you have that that just feel of excitement, you have that the staff, that engagement. The technical service is almost is a given, it's a standard, you know, you're that almost has to be sort of perfect. But if you don't have that warmth, that hospitality, then it's almost irrelevant. I'll give you a good example. I went to a restaurant earlier this week and it was a Michelin style restaurant recently opened and it was a tasting menu. So you're looking probably at about, you know, a cup, 400, 450 pounds each. And that's a huge amount of money. And a friend of mine, we've been kind of, really wanted to go we really wanted to put it aside we were celebrating you know a new job a birthday and we re- we loved we loved this um you know the previous restaurants were amazing and we went and there was something that lacked it you know the product was good the service was technically it was perfectly executed the timing was amazing but it lacked that warmth they missed out on those touch points that really really elevate the service that really make that difference. And it was such a shame because it's not really about the money or it's not really about the product, but we wanted that really, really special moment and that wasn't delivered. So we kind of walked away. We said, well, that was such a, that was such a shame when it could have been so much more, so memorable. Obviously it was still a special experience, but it just really reminded me and highlighted how important the staff and the team are and you know curating a space but really with that heart in it Mm, which is a good point actually because it brings us to what you're doing now because as we said before you were originally at the Savoy and you've recently returned to work on a revamp of the legendary American bar as well as the Beaufort bar so first of all how did that make you feel and secondly how did you approach both briefs because they're very different. Yeah, I think to I get it, to give it that little bit of context, like you said, you know, I worked in that building for seven years. It was a hugely pivotal part of my life. It introduced me to really what hospitality was. And it was somewhere that I really felt that sense of place for me personally, but also for my career. And looking back, you really understand what I saw, you know, what you learned there. I think anybody that's worked at the Savoy has this huge affinity and this huge attachment to it because it is such a special place. You know, yes, it's historical. Yes, it's got so much history. But the people that come through those doors, the guests, but more importantly, the team, become part of your life. You know, people have met the love of their life there. They've met their best friend there. They've met their mentors there. They've met people that have seen them grow up. And, So for me to get the opportunity to come back to the Savoy was really, really touching and was, you know, yes, it's a challenge, but, you know, coming out of COVID, like everything was a challenge, but it was really special to kind of get invited back and get given these briefs to say, this is what we want to do. And what do you think? So it really began this very wonderful journey of working very, very closely with the senior management team, which I hadn't had that opportunity to do before. I said, well, what is, what is right? How do we go approach this? And, you know, and the main things were like, yes, it needs to be organic. 
yes, it needs to be, it needs to feel right. We really need to look after the team. We really need to build the team. And the Beaufort Bar as well was something that was the last place that I worked. And that was something that we went, well, actually, we can have a lot of fun with this, you know, because compared to the American Bar, it's relatively new, as we all know. It doesn't have, you know, whilst the room has the history, the Beaufort Bar doesn't have that history nowhere near as long as the American Bar. So, so you know, we can have a lot of fun with this and we can do fun things and maybe we can put in a DJ, we can, you know, push the boundaries a bit more and break the mold of what a traditional hotel bar could be so I mean I could talk for hours about it and both of the bars are so special and I think you know as we've seen over the last six months you know there's been a lot of amazing new appointments and I really want to touch on you know Chelsea Bailey joining the team because you know I know to a lot of people it was unexpected and a lot of people went wow I didn't I didn't expect that but it felt so right and seeing her in that white jacket behind the bar walking that room is amazing and I think off the back of that people went well I want I want to work with Chelsea I want to work there and you know Chelsea has an amazing reputation in the industry and I think when you put somebody in that place that is so talented and it's such a new experience as well for her but other people it attracts other people we've really seen an organic growth of the team and the existing team was incredible and I think putting Chelsea in it's absolutely you know brought everybody together very, very well. And it's also started to attract some amazing new talent from around the industry, which is really exciting. We were going to speak about that a bit later, but it's good that you've brought it in because I think it's really integral to to the whole thing because you've respected the history, but there's a whole lot of innovation as well going on. So huge respect for that, which is wonderful. And on on that, um, that's Jumping back slightly, because when we were talking at the beginning and we're talking about that whole holistic, if you like, experience we have when we go to a bar, when you looked at these briefs, there must have been so many things that you thought about and you think, shall I touch this? Shall I leave that alone? You know, whether it's as you've touched on the team, but, you know, whether it's the atmosphere, the design of the bar, the service, you know, what were the most challenging parts of the briefs for those bars? Yes, um, I think it's important, obviously, to, like you said, the two spaces are very different. And I think if you take the American bar, you know, the American bar, you know, for the last over 100 years has been so important in, you know, the way that we drink. You know, it's been so important. It's been a place of, you know, celebration. It's been a place that, you you know, you kind of said in in the introduction, it's more than just a cocktail bar. It's a place where families have celebrated. It gets passed down from generation to generation. You know, it was one of the first places that, you know, I remember going to and visiting and having a drink. So there does need to be that respect for the tradition. But I think what's more important is what we do next. We can't keep talking about what happened 100 years ago, because whilst it's important, it's not important right now. And what we want to do, you know, with the Savoy and with both bars, but is create moments that people will be talking about in 50 years, in 100 years. Yes, the new history. The new history. And that's why it's really important to keep innovating. And I think there's certain things, you know, about the American bar that we we want to keep the DNA of it, but we want to develop it and we want to build on it. And whether that's through cocktails, whether that's through the music that we have, whether that's through the furniture, all of these little touch points have to be taken into account. And it is about what we do tomorrow. And I think that's really important. A lot of people, you know, around the world, you know, with, in whatever industry, get very stuck and very fixated on the past. And it re- it's really important. We have to keep reminding ourselves, it's what are we going to do tomorrow that is better than yesterday, that's better than today. That's great because I was in the Beaufort Bar on Thursday and I must say it's looking amazing. So well done for that. And do you want to just take a moment to describe both bars now and what you have done with them? Because there's still, you can tell they're the same, but there's just those little nuances of difference. There's a little bit more excitement going on. So just tell us some of the things that you've tweaked and brought to life in different ways. Yes, of course. And so I'll start with the Beaufort bar. As you were there on Thursday, and you saw it. And for me, the Beaufort bar is a really, really magical place. The history of the Beaufort bar, you know, it's got so many different links. But I think the, the story that people know about the most is that it was on the former stage and entertainment room of the hotel. 
So it naturally evokes that sort of theatrical, dramatic feel to it. And one of the things that we did and the biggest difference was close the big main doors that opened up into the lounge area. And there were a couple of reasons why we did that. The first one being that when the doors were open, yes, it was still beautiful, but the two areas were very, very different and they kind of bled into one. And I always felt that when the doors were open, you know, the Bofa Bar lost that intimate, like that intimate space, you know, and we found that the clientele were very, very different. You know, people sitting in the bar, you know, drinking a nice champagne or a cocktail were not the same guests as people sitting in afternoon tea, eating scones and uh, little sandwiches and everything. So we really wanted to keep its identity and closing the doors. It creates a much more intimate, well-rounded space. And we put in a lot of soft touches to the room. And by that, I mean furniture. We put in some new lighting, some really warm gold lighting hanging down from the ceiling. Put in some up lighting as well, just to create those really beautiful shadows. The furniture, we changed a little bit. We changed the reconfiguration of the room, giving the center a bit more of an anchor and therefore kind of creating these little like intimate spaces instead of it just being a big open room. We also put in some high poser tables and I think that really changes the energy of the room as well because it was very one-dimensional before and having different levels and different types of furniture really creates a different flow of energy so that was great uh, new bar stools these little these little things and you know what it's a little bit of a work in progress it's not completely finished and we also worked really closely with our head florist Belinda who's got such an eye for detail and she put in these like wonderful greenery and these plants and stuff which just creates more texture to the room Mm, and softness as well yeah and it does it's you know it was really a collaborative effort because we had our head of engineering kind of going well actually we could build this shelf we can attach this we can do this so everybody worked really really well together and then on the drink side of things it was well let's do a menu but you know, this isn't made a storytelling menu, but let's do just a list of 10 delicious drinks. And that's really it. And, you know, the guests that we want in the Bofa Bar, you know, they're not there for that story. You know, there are some venues and, you know, we'll touch on the American Bar, which is more about that storytelling. But with the Bofa Bar, you know, we just wanted to create these delicious drinks and the team did so well to do this. And working with brand partners has been amazing. We work very closely with Lauren Perrier as well. So we've got some really, really exclusive like bottles of champagne that are only available in the Beaufort bar. And the place just evokes it. And the really fun thing that we've done is do a, cham- a glass of champagne and caviar bump. Yes, I so love fun. that. <laughs> it, it, it's just great. And people just like, I. this is so cool. It's not necessarily a brand new concept. It's been done before. But in that five-star environment, people are like, that's quite cool. And that was really fun. It's really fun, like, introducing people to it. It's that Instagram sort of moment as well. And you know what? We're going to keep developing these little things. And it's not perfect yet, but it's in the direction of what we want to go it's in. pretty damn good to me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think you know, we spoke about it on Thursday. You know, we've got DJs as well. So we put in the DJ booth, which is just Cool. And it's now we're working very much on developing that late night crowd that wants to come in, you know, post 8 p.m. and have a drink, have cool music. And we looked at other really cool venues around London, you know, places like Louis London, Maison Estelle, you know, 22, like these places, you know, Soho House, 180, these places just have a really, really cool vibe. You know, they've curated this amazing atmosphere. And that's kind of also what we want to do what we want to do in the Beaufort Bar and we're working with some brilliant people to do this. Uh, so it's very, very exciting. And, you know, it's when you come in, you really get that sense of like anything could happen. We want people to leave with a story, I think, in a nutshell. And and also, sorry, you were, you were saying as well that the Beaufort Bar is very much about the night and the American Bar evokes more of a daytime feel. And you've really sort of separated the two personalities really, really well. Tell us a bit about the American Bar as well, what you've done there. Of course. And I think, you know, the, the thing about the American Bar, and I'm very, you know, I'm so attached to it because it was where I first started as a host years and years ago. I've never worked at a venue where people are prepared to wait that long to come in because people, you know, at the busiest times, I remember people waiting for up to an hour, maybe even more. 
Um, so it's a huge, it, it, they, you know, the American bar can do 600, 700 covers in one day and night. So it's a huge operation. And yes, you know, you have people coming to for that bucket list drink because, you know, it's a rite of passage. But there's this amazing group of regulars also coming in to the bar. And it's the great thing about the American bar, my favorite time is in the American bar is in that autumnal sort of season where, you know, you're going in maybe at 5 p.m. and it's just about light enough outside. And then beautifully it transitions from day to night. And that's really curated as well by Johnny or one of the pianists that we have. Yes, we've and interviewed him as well. You know, John Nichols being, you know, he's, I, he never ages. It's amazing. <laughs> he's been a boy 17 years. And he beautifully curates, you know, he starts at 6.30. And as sort of dusk is falling, you know, in that sort of still September, beginning of October, it's just so beautiful. You know, the lights change, the music changes, it's it's very, very, very special. And, you know, the American Bar has that sort of timeless, classic, you know, innovative, you know, menu. You know, at the moment, it's the reinvented menu, taking classics from past menus, uh, the Savoy Cocktail Book, and kind of reinventing it into, for today, you know, the prime example, one of, you know, the greatest strengths, the hanky-panky. You know, previously that, like, was strong straight up, and now it's, Created really beautiful highball way, so just something different. And you know, the American model. What's going to be really exciting is when Chelsea uh, launches her first menu with the team, and she's working very closely with Andrea, the bar manager there. So that's really, really exciting, and that's really going to, I think, set a precedence of the future of the American bar. Um, and it feels exciting. I was saying to our managing director the other day, Frank, and I was like, I feel it's the beginning of something very, very special for both bars That's so fantastic. it's exciting yeah, it, it's so yeah. exciting yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you've we've touched on Chelsea a little bit um could you tell us a bit about how how you've been collaborating with her of course so I think when Chelsea started you know I think obviously any new job you know especially one of this sort of magnitude is such a huge undertaking and it's been such a pleasure to kind of see see her initial journey and things are only only going to get better and better and she's such a perfect fit for that role. It feels so natural. It feels like she's been there sometimes forever. And it's going to be really exciting to see what she does. And, you know, my role in all of this is very much that back of house, that support side of things. And it's really important that, you know, this is the new beginning as I say, there's a drink on the menu called The New Beginning, actually. But it's it's her show and, you know, her and Andrea and the team, it's very much about what they do next. And from my side of things, you know, I'm very much about, you know, the strategy, the back of house side of things as well. You know, there's so much going on that rarely gets talked about in the industry. That Maybe for reasons because P&Ls are maybe not that exciting. <laughs> they're they're so not that sexy, Anna. <laughs> I know. It's like, do you want to talk about PL or do you want to have a cocktail? <laughs> most people will say, let's have a cocktail. But it's very much, you know, that support side of things as well. And she's very much the face of, you know, the bars, the Savoy as well. And, you know, one of those key people. And it's a key role. I mean, every role is key, but it's one of the roles that are very much highlighted and very much spoken about, considering there's, you know, there hasn't been that many head bartenders of the American bar. So it's going to be really exciting to see what happens and to very much kind of work with her and support her. And it's, um, yeah, it's a big, it's a huge pleasure and just amazing that she's here. What have you learned about yourself from doing this new, I mean, you've been doing the consultancy for a while, but this is a huge project. So what have you learned about yourself from doing it? A lot. I think, you know, it was only the beginning of the year, so nine months ago, that I went, I want to give it a go. And I was really lucky because, you know, as you said before, I've worked with Adam Handling, and that was very much, you know, one of my first, first clients. And you know, that has been a huge learning curve, working with, you know, Michelin star chef in different sites. The Savoy was another kind of big, you know, big deal for me. I was just like, I can't, I can't screw this up. I can't screw anything up because 
it's it's such a change of mindset when you're not when you don't have a guaranteed salary you really really do have to work and it's every day you're thinking what can I do next what can I do next what do I need to do and you guys know you know anyone that does this you know really understands that and I think one of the biggest things I learned was not taking on you know at the beginning you say yes to everything because it's that knee-jerk reaction but you can't do everything. And I really, I've learned that where I've taken on something, I've been like, why have I done this? And it's had a knock on or detrimental effect where, you know, I haven't, I haven't been able to have a day off or you're traveling back to back so much or you're not sleeping. So I think that was one of the biggest things that I sort of learned as well. But also coming in as a consultant, it's very different from being an employee. You know, you are being brought in because there's nobody, they need somebody and they need a different opinion and they need maybe somebody to come in and do something that hasn't been happening. So it's really, really different. You know, you really have to kind of level up and, you know, and really grow up as a person. And so it's been, it's been really interesting. And you know what, I get things wrong all the time, all the time. And I go, God, why did I do that? Why did I say that? That was not okay. That or that was, or that comment wasn't right. I like go back home and I'm just like, oh, why did I do that? But you learn from it. And I had this habit I do like every time I do something I'm, that I shouldn't have done or it was a mistake, I write it down. Not to kind of like like make myself feel bad, but I kind of write it down and I go, okay, well, what would have been the better way to do it? And sometimes it's really simple. Like you should have just kept your mouth shut, Anna. And I could have gone, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> or it's more than that where I go, actually, I could have handled it in this way. And I sometimes I go back, I've got a group of people and I'm really lucky. Well, message and I'll go, how do I do this in the right way without, because sometimes you don't know. And I think that's okay to reach out and ask people's opinions. Go, well, what would you do in this situation? How would you approach this? And it's so important. So I've kind of, you know, you sometimes go from, I think we all have the habit maybe sometimes of doing this, of thinking that we're always right. And, you know, well, I've done this and I've done this, but there's always somebody with more experience than you. And people have been so kind, giving me their time and gone, this is how I would approach it. And I've gone, actually, I never thought about that. I'm going to approach it that way because I know what I'm like. I am very impulsive. You know, I'm very, you know, emotional in what I do. I put my heart into it. So my reactions sometimes are not always the best reactions. None of us are, though. I know, uh, but some people are better at (laughs) And, you know, there's no right, you know, and I think there's some great things here, people who have that type of personality. There's some great things. You know, there's some things to work on. But this is what makes the industry special. And you have to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's that balance of people. And I think when you bring people together, when you build a team, you need to have those people that are more strategic, maybe more on the emotive side. And when you can combine that together, it's incredible. You obviously are very busy at the moment, very, very busy. But is there anything you can share with us that's in the pipeline for you personally in the future? I I do have some really exciting projects coming up. So watch this space, shall we say? Yeah, I know. I hate it, though, when people say that. (laughs) But I do have some really, really exciting projects coming up, especially for next year, some new openings, which are really, really exciting and very much you know, really looking forward to continuing to work with, you know, the likes of the Savoy, Adam Handling as well, you know, and just to touch on that, the great thing about Adam Handling and Savoy is they're so close to each other. And it's a relationship that is really just beginning, not just between me and both of the places, but between, you know, the hotel and the restaurant. And that's really, really important to have that. And it's, you know, both places are amazing. You know, Adam's restaurant is just absolutely phenomenal. And Eve Bar is just such a gem in Covent Garden so it's there's lots of exciting things coming up. So now using your fantastic experience and knowledge is there anything that you can share with our listeners about creating a little bit of that five-star magic for themselves at home can they bring any tips into their setting also just little maybe drinks or serving tips or different hostessing things that you would 
I mean, I, I could wear a white jacket when I serve a cocktail to Sandra, but be, beyond that. I mean, Gary, I would love to see you in a white jacket. I'm sure I'd style He's it up He's got one, don't worry. <laughs> it's the next time you come to the American bar, you can make all the martinis. <laughs> but I, th- I think, you know, we get asked a lot, you know, what can we do to host people? And honestly, it's that, it's those small things. It's that attention to detail. It's you know, if you're hosting those, you know, dinner parties, it's beautiful place settings, you know, with that personalization. And that's what, you know, a lot of like what luxury is about is that personalization. It's about finding out what those preferences are beforehand. The beautiful, like little, like name places, you know, beautiful little like flowers that you can put, you know, on the napkin. And it's how things sort of set up. And I think look at it, you know, look at your space or your home as an overall thing, you know, temperature of the room you know lighting music you know do you have a music playlist for early evening and then late evening as well like how does that sort of sound as well I speak like I host people all the time and I'm like I have a really small flat so I don't do any (laughs) but I think you know from a drink side of things you know having your fridge full or freezer you know with you know your your staples and your you know you, you don't need hundreds hundreds of bottles to create a good bar And I would say focus on the things that you know work. So your wines and your champagnes, you know, all of those things can also be used in cocktails as well. There's a lot of crossover, but you're also going to have a lot of things in your house that you can use for drinks. So whether it's like, you know, one of the things that I love using um, instead of sort of sugar that stays for a really, really long time is uh, different flavors of jam, you know, using that in a mojito. I love it's that sort of jam and mint and everything. It's, it's, you know, mojitos were probably one of the first drinks, probably the first drink that I made ever, you know, go back years and years ago. So those little things, and you don't need to buy huge, huge amounts of equipment. I say, if you want to invest in it, you don't have to spend a lot of money. It all kind of does the same thing for what you want in your home. Now, you know, you could get really geeky about shakers and the thickness of the metal, the temperature, but for your home, you don't need a lot of it. You just need I would say invest in some of the basic pieces and don't forget that everything can link together. You know, at the end of the day, we're making drinks. It's fun. We're not having, we're not performing open heart surgery. Thank God. <laughs> so just enjoy it and play around with the flavors and just balance the drinks out with sugar or citrus and things like that. And just really enjoy it. And I say the best way to learn about alcohol or wines or champagnes is, is to taste it. And you get really get a sense of, you know what you like what you don't like what your guests like and so on and so forth and have fun as you said I think have fun. it's the most important thing if you're not having fun then what's the yeah. point <laughs> that's brilliant thank you so much Anna that You've, was lovely as always wonderful tips lovely insights and always a pleasure talking about what you're up to and all of your fabulous clients so thank you for spending time with us thank you so much for having me and it's been as always, such a pleasure, such an honor to speak with two of my favorite people in the industry. So thank you so much. Thank you. The latest issue of the Cocktail Lovers magazine is available now. As always, we're looking at the people, places, products and much, much more that we're loving in the cocktail world. To get your print or digital copy, simply visit thecocktaillovers.com magazine.